It's the Ride All Night Podcast, with stories of friends and family of the band From Good Homes, started during the pandemic of 2020 and continuing until we're done. Thank you, we're trying some new things here. Okay, here it comes. We've got a million people to thank. Welcome back, folks. It's the Ride All Night Podcast, and we have a special show for you today. This episode features two good friends of the FGH family band, Brady's brother, Scott Reimer, and going way back to the early days in Sparta High School, Joe Tierney joins us. Joe's been out in California for many years, and it was really fun reconnecting with him. Joe's dad, Tom Tierney, owned the infamous Speakeasy Lounge in Sparta, New Jersey, which arguably was the first venue that Todd, Brady, Fitz, and back in those days, Scott Reimer played regular gigs. Of course, along with Burt Reichstad and Mike Weaver. And you can check out my conversation with Mike Weaver in episode 7 of the podcast. Old Crow became somewhat of the house band, and there were many a good times at the Speakeasy. The podcast starts with my conversation with Joe, where we learn about his travels west, some glory years as head of security at Bill Graham's private club in San Francisco, and his distinguished career in telecommunications, topped off with his current job at Oracle. Then Scott joins us, and we talk about the early days of the speakeasy, and how a lot of these long-term relationships were formed in the Sparta sports community. And uh, as Joe points out, their freshman football team was unscored upon through their entire season. Not just undefeated, unscored upon. We then say goodbye to Joe and Scott and I share some stories going way back to the very first original songwriting, all the way through the From Good Homes story. Oddly enough, the first time Joe saw From Good Homes was at a private party for Rich Watney in Idaho where unbeknownst to him or most of the other guests at the party, the band was actually discussing their breakup. Check out episode three to hear from Rich and Kelly Watney. This is a real fun look back into the From Good Homes history. Please enjoy my conversation with Joe Tierney and Scott Reimer. Hey Joe. How are you? How's it going, man? Going well. And what do you see? You see a photo of me? I see a photo in a tux. <laughs> That's my usual. I thought it was a live shot. I'm like, oh man, you got dressed up. Dude, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at you. You look great. Thank you, Vic. Yeah, handsome man, you can't go wrong. You know, it's, you got such a good <laughs> subject to work with. So let's hope my memory holds out. (laughs) I know that's the problem. I never remember anything. So you're not going to get much from me, man. (laughs) That's 40 years ago. That's been great, man. I interviewed the whole band this past summer and then I interviewed them individually. And so we're well underway of doing the story about From Good Homes. That's cool. So cool, man. If we could start, let's just do, if you could do just a quick little intro. How do you introduce yourself normally and tell people who you are? Yeah, great. Um, Joe Tierney. Calling in from Roseville, California today, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity, Vic. Right on. Where is Roseville? 
Roseville is about 20 minutes northeast of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So we're right in the foothills of the Sierras, about 60 miles out of Lake Tahoe. Beautiful area. We're going to have Scott Reimer chime in here a little later. So we'll talk about Sparta when he shows up. But um, I was thinking about like when you left Sparta to now. I know there's a lot of twists and turns, but yeah, let's hear the short version. Yeah, the long, strange trip, as they say. Uh, you know, I left Sparta in like 82 and 83. I left in 82 originally right after high school. Went to San Francisco. Judy and I made the trip out and we met Jim Pappas. We hung out at Jim Pappas's house for a summer. And that's when uh, I'm sure I decided I was going to head out to California for good. So I did go back to Sparta, did a little bit of trade school in the computer industry, Douglas and I. And um, after that, I, I went out to San Francisco for good. The first few years were a lot of fun, you know, young man. I got a job with Bill Graham, big concert promoter, right? He, he was, uh, of course, the promoter of the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, a lot of those bands back in the day. I was able to be his uh, doorman for a personal club. He had a club called Wolfgangs in San Francisco. So I spent you know, a good four and a half years being the doorman and supervisor of security at his private club, which was a great gig. We had a lot of bands come in there five, six nights a week, all different music, small venue. So people like to play there. And that was really the first trip into California. I then went into work in the communications field. I worked for uh, Sprint for 18 years. Uh, did some engineering and operations work and then moved into sales. Um, after Sprint, I did 10 years with Verizon. Similar thing, you know, I went from communications to, uh, you know, landline communications, if you will, into wireless services with Verizon. And I managed their enterprise sales team in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, you know, my customers were, you know, all the largest tech companies in the in the world, really, that were headquartered there in the Bay Area. And then after that, I moved on to Oracle. I manage their global mobile program. So I have teammates all around the world in every region. I get to do a lot of global travel, meeting with suppliers. So, you know, spent most of my life on the sales side and moved into you know, the buying side. On the family front, you know, I met my wife at work at Sprint, which I know with this uh, coronavirus situation, we're going to meet less people at work now that they're closing offices. So she was a little sad about that, you know, because we we're sending all of our employees home and, and you know, we're going to be doing, doing remote work, of course. But yeah, I met my wife at work and uh, we married in 91. Two sons, Joseph is 26, Jonathan is 23. They're, they're locked in the house with us. They had a choice when this coronavirus started was to be either locked out or locked in. You know, they both chose to be locked in. So we're we're on uh, about our eighth week. We locked down early. You know, the San Francisco Bay Area was one of the first lockdowns. But uh, nonetheless, you know, we're here in, in Roseville. You know, before Roseville, we lived in San Carlos. That's the San Francisco Peninsula area. And we spent 25 years in the same home there where we raised the boys. Um, then when they went off to college, my wife and I decided it was time to find a new adventure. And, you know, the foothills are really nice area, a lot less crowded than the Bay Area. So we're really enjoying it up here. Where'd your boys come from? Were they, where were they living in the area, I guess? Or Yeah, they were both in the area here. So, you know, they left girlfriends and friends to lock down with us. You know, they're, they're healthy kids. They talk about going out and even getting sick and just getting through this thing. But to bring it home to myself and my wife, it's probably not a great thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, when, when John was born, our second son, 
my wife suffered a stroke. Um, so she's been pretty disabled, you know, for 23 years now. Uh, yesterday was actually the anniversary of her stroke. Uh, you know, she's recovered greatly. She's participated in life. Unfortunately, she hasn't been able to work. She certainly has some physical limitations that she's lived with, but all of it, all of it's good though. You know, I mean, you, you just work with the cards you're dealt with, Vic. Yeah. Well, dude, that's amazing, man. So much in there, you know, like what a, a, my first thought was what a great job coming out of Sparta and coming out of, I know your musical taster, I could imagine to go to San yeah. Francisco and work for Bill Graham. Does it get any better yeah. than that? No, it doesn't. And, and, you know, a bunch of my old high school buddies, which I'm sure you're interviewing with benefited as well. You know, I, I was uh, fortunate to be working in the day in a real day job. And then at night, every night I worked and instead of taking a paycheck, I accumulated concert tickets. So I was able to go to, you know, the Greek theater, Grateful Dead shows, you know, three or four years, five years in a row um, and bring out you know, a whole bunch of the old Sparta friends and really had some good times there. Met some wonderful people. If, if I look back at the list of those four and a half years I worked there, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, I, I was, I was close friends with Robin Williams. He used to come in all the time and I just let him into the club uh, Ellen DeGeneres used to come in all the time, Eddie Money. We had Garcia Band play one time, so that was a dream, right? Yeah. I had the opportunity to carry flowers from a couple hippies downstairs to see Jerry, and I got to meet him for the first time. So, yeah, that was that was a dream job, you know, moving to California, no friends. Worked in the day and at night, you know, partied all night. It was a really wonderful life. And you mentioned Judy. That's Judy Adams that you went out there with? Yeah, Judy Adams. Now it's Judy Robertson, I think. Yes. I came out first, you know, after that summer trip when we visited Pappas. I came out with Douglas, actually. And uh, we slept on Jimmy Pappas's floor for months until we were able to get, you know, our acts together. Douglas decided to go back to Sparta, you know, real big family, real good opportunity working with his father in the engineering, civil engineering company that they have. So, so he bailed. I stayed. Judy then followed me out, um, and she uh, she's still here in Northern California, I think. I haven't talked to her in 25 years or more, but uh, yeah. I could imagine. <clears throat> I I could probably make up an answer, but what was your draw to California originally? It was varied, you know. I think um, almost all of my friends went to college. I didn't go to college, right? I just didn't have the opportunity. My parents couldn't afford that for me. Uh, while I had a half scholarship offer to go to Kent State, I just couldn't you know, afford the rest. So once I got this computer background, I was going to be a computer repairman. It was just taken off. And you know, Silicon Valley was the idea. As a kid, you know, in my bedroom, I had a big poster that said California Dreaming. And it's, you know, a picture of the sunset on the beach. And and I think that just really it was in my head to go west. Here I'm sitting here almost 40 years later. I can't believe I stayed in California. Now, I did move to Colorado for a couple of years, Arizona for a couple of years, all work-related relocations. But we ended up back here. You know, my wife being born and raised in the Bay Area when it was time to raise children. You know, we were either going to do it in Sparta, which she was never going to go for. Yeah. Or we were going to do it in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Yeah. Um, I got Scotty Reimer just chimed in. I'll uh, just ask you one more question, then we'll bring him in. About the pandemic, how's that happening? How's that affecting you? How's that affecting Oracle? What's your thoughts on uh, 
where we're going? I guess it's a big question, but just a little bit of Yeah. You know, I'm very fortunate to have a job I could do anywhere in the world. When we moved here to Roseville, I had a chance to go to almost any place. Uh, my wife wanted to stay close to the Bay Area where her friend set is. So very fortunate. Got my job. The lockdown here has been very serious, right? California took this thing seriously. You know, I say there's smart people and stupid people in the world. We've got a lot of smart people here. We're locked down and, and, uh, you know, in this particular county, it's a pretty big county, goes from uh, here where I am in Roseville all the way up to you know, Lake Tahoe. We have only eight deaths. Uh, we're just trying to survive through that. A lot of changes, right? Food delivery, booze delivery, weed delivery, cutting my own hair. Nice. Pretty good at it. Looking good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, looking forward, I mean, things are changing, you know. Oracle's going to be closing offices. You know, we have 389 offices in the world. We're saying we're going to come out of this with less than 200. We figured out that almost every role in the company can be done at home or from your boat if you choose to do it from there. So clearly that's changed greatly. You know, I was saying to my kids the other day on Saturdays, my wife and I met at work. You know, we went to work every day and we sat in a box and we met there and we had babies and they reminded me that, you know, they don't meet people at work. They do it online. I was like, okay, life, you know, it's changing. And I think a lot of this is going to stick. I mean, I need to go to the grocery store because I have to pick my own vegetables out. I, I hate people that don't know how to pick out asparagus. So I'm like, what's so hard about that? <laughs> you know? Um, so I do have to get out of here at some point. But the but the groceries, uh, you know, are arriving. The booths are arriving. Yeah. Weeds are nice. <laughs> Gotta love California. Cool, man. Well, let's bring in Scotty Reimer. Have you seen him in a while? Yeah. There he is. Reimer. Mr. Reimer, do you hear us? Yeah, I got you. How you doing, Joe? Yeah, you know, life is good to me. I've been very fortunate. Yeah, you're looking good, man. Thank you. It's the camera. It's a... <laughs> I, tried, I tried to dumb down the high def. I'm afraid it's got a little bit much going on there. So, Scott, Scott, if you could, just a, little, uh, just a little intro, just say who you are and where you are. Oh, okay. I'm Scott Reimer, and... Uh, I'm uh, I'm in Georgia. I'm on St. Simons Island, Georgia. Doing good. We're locked down too, you know. And uh, yeah, who are you, who are you locking down with, Scott? With my dad. Great. How long you been down there, Scott? Um, I've been down here 16 years now. It's beautiful. Great place. Playing a lot of golf. <laughs> right. No, not not really. Not lately, I haven't. But I, I have played my share. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's golf country down there. I know that area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And how's how's Dick doing? He's doing okay. He's napping right now. He says, "Hey, Joe, sorry to hear about Tom. Yeah, about your dad. Yeah, he's a great man. Yeah, I think Joe, that was the last time I bumped into you in Sparta. I was walking down the boardwalk. It was empty, and you came the other way. And I guess you were back for that. Yeah, sorry to hear. Yeah, that. it's funny when when we started chatting about this, I, I had trouble recollecting that. Right? I mean, that's just a period of time in life where. You know, you, you, I don't think you block it out as much as you're just living under a lot of pain. So, but, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I was, uh, I was traveling in Singapore and I was with, I took my son, John, I was on a business trip. We were, uh, we were in Indonesia and uh, Singapore. Um, and then, you know, I got the call that my dad was, you know, very sick and, and I needed to come home. And so, you know, we hightailed at home. I got on a plane, went back, um, and, and we, you know, unfortunately put him in hospice that night. And uh, I had a whole week with him, though, you know. I was in the hospital with him every day. 
Um, yeah. So it was all it was all good. I appreciate that, Scott. Yeah. Was, uh, so he was, he was a good man. Good friend. Good friend to me and a good friend to yeah. the band and uh, just a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Todd did an interview recently and he gave a shout out to my dad. <laughs> Scott, I um I talked to Mike Weaver last night. Oh yeah, <laughs> Mike. How you doing, Mike? Amazing, because I I was I have some photos. I think you sent a photo of him, and then I went to a website. He's still a musician. He's out in Albuquerque, and he does voice talent. So I listened to a sample, and I was like, oh, now I get there. I remember that voice. Yeah, for sure. yeah. he was hyper on those keyboards. Hypey <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, hypey Mikey, jumping around. Boy, he couldn't stand still. Pretty amazing though. I mean, he picked he picked that stuff up so quick in our rehearsals. He just was like, bam, all over it. Listen to the record one time. He's got it. You know, um, <laughs> I didn't have to play bass. He played my bass parts. <laughs> well, he was giving the big props to you, um, particularly, and as I recall, that embodiment of Jim Morrison. So, you know. yeah, <laughs> that's great. We were listening or watching YouTube videos, and I pull up all the old music, right, and. Uh, yeah. And we did some Jim Morrison stuff, and I was telling my sons about you and how, how you used to do a good Jim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the days, huh? Long time ago, Scott. Yeah. Hey, so when did you guys first meet? Um, wow. Yeah. Did you go to Alpine? No, it was, it was in... Uh, middle? So it was middle school. It was middle school, yeah. Seventh, eighth grade, right? And then I think we got closer freshman football, right? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, football brought so many of us close together. I mean, what a great sure. bunch of kids. And, you yeah. know, you know, I tell a lot of stories. I think old guys do that. Um, yeah. And I was telling my sons, you know, that when we were freshmen, right, we never were scored on in our defense. We had six, right. six points against us the entire year. And that was on a return and not against our defense. So undefeated, right. you know, no state champs as freshmen, of course, but unscored upon. Come on. These are stories that, that set you up to be a winner for life. Yeah, it was a pretty exceptional team that we were on there. Some great coaching and some great players. A lot of fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. I mean, I, I recall so many good things that surrounded football, you know, from football camp and, you know, John Schenk and... Uh, was it Bert Wright's dad would bring the keg in on the wheelbarrow (laughs) and we would all sneak out one night and have a big kegger. Um, Probably, probably doesn't happen at football camp these days, but we did things a little differently. (laughs) You know, we were, when we were in high school, we didn't, uh, we didn't have jocks and freaks in our grade, right? We, we kind of blended that whole thing and, I know years yeah. ahead of us, they did have a whole different click thing going on, but we broke those walls yeah, there, down. There was a real division in the school at that time, and I don't know if it was just coming in as a freshman or whatever, but, you know, it was it was weird. It was either you were on one side or the other. I guess, I guess a lot of schools had that, but then it kind of just it disappeared, and, you know, I, it, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, Scotty, let's talk a little bit about the music. Yeah. And you guys first started before, you know, I know that old crow kind of worked their way over to the speakeasy, but what you guys, when did you first start playing music? And I've been asking people, what are the influences, you know, that kind of brought the music out of North Jersey where we always get to is we, it was a really party in town. 
So I'm wondering if there was more than just the party and that influenced the music. But oh yeah, you know, growing up listening to it since I was a little kid. You know, the song Todd sings, uh, "How Long Till We Get There," which is so cool. It, I mean, that was it. Turn up the radio. I love this tune. That's that's what it was. It was everything that was being played in the '70s. It was Rolling Stones, you know, Tom Petty, Foghat. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Everything that was on the radio. Kiss, you know, we loved Kiss. Little kids, you know, yeah. makeup, <laughs> dressing up. <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I can remember driving down Route 81. I'd squirm and itch all around the back seat. Tease my sister for a little fun And listen all day long To the radio Just to pass some time away Until I couldn't daydream I'd wake up and I would Though it's more an acquired taste 
When talking to Hypey Mikey, it's like you guys were kind of um, professional musicians in high school, like gigging, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks to thanks to Tom Tierney, yeah, and uh, and the Speakeasy, we and uh, and some other places too. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, always had a little scratch in the pocket, so yeah. It was it was pretty cool. So tell me about the. This was kind of was it later on when you started playing Speakeasy. Was that, or is that right off the bat? No, no, no. That was that was later on when we were we were we had made it into high school and and uh, I mean starting off we started off in junior high and uh, you know in high school I think it was probably towards junior year junior senior year, junior year and senior year some beer blasts <laughs> blasts cool. we we brought those back from New York. Yeah. Remember going up to New York? old ride up to Union, right? Yeah. Was it up to Union? Yeah. 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 Well, five bucks, all you could drink. We were came home. <laughs> Dad, I got an idea. Yeah. I think we can do this. That's right. Uh, the mistake he made was he uh, let me and my brother check IDs. Okay. You, you don't, that's probably not a great idea, Dad. <laughs> there was uh there was one time right we had to have a thousand people in the bar and he came over and he asked me if anybody was over drinking age and i was like well ben serving those kamikazes is uh he's old enough but um but there was a time i mean it was i mean you you know brady i think was 15 when you first played I mean, you guys, yeah. you guys were young boys standing on that stage, you know, and they just grew. Yeah. I mean, they got bigger and bigger and bigger um, until you outgrew the place. I mean, it just, you know, the cops just were going to shut them down. So, um, yeah, but but it was uh, it was definitely a great experience for everybody that went there. Yeah, it worked out great, too. You know, I mean, it was it was a really cool atmosphere, too. It was it was packed, but it was really cool. Yeah, it was um, it was safe, too. I mean, as much yeah, as, you know, kids are drinking, you don't do that today. And looking back on it, I can't believe we did it. But um, yeah. it's, uh, you know, everybody was well behaved. And that's what my dad always said about that group of kids, right? He didn't ever have to worry about them. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were not going to be fighting. They were going to watch out for each other. Um, yeah. Just had a couple situations that might have set us back. So, hey, I, I'm, I'm aware of this because I, I attended that uh establishment but for someone who may be a railroad earth fan if you guys could describe what you're talking about just oh okay for yeah, yeah. go ahead joe joe what was the <laughs> talk a little bit about what what that place was and um yeah what went down there yeah yeah so um so speakeasy was um it was it was probably my dad's dream right he did a number of different things in his life but he always uh, envisioned owning a tavern 
in his head, the one thing that would always survive in life was people drinking beer. And so that's that's what it was. Um, it was a liquor store and a restaurant. And uh, he ripped the liquor store out because he wanted to have a country western band club, if you will. And he had a lot of country bands come through there. So really just a small town bar. And, um, you know, and then, you know, here comes Old Crow, you know, we, we definitely had some convincing to do. But, uh, you know, I think at one point he was suffering for cash and money, right? Business wasn't great. And when you could bring a thousand people in, you're doing it, you know? So you figure, you know, we used to, you know, we brought the $5 home from New York, right? It was $5 at the door. All the beer you can drink. All the, you could just drink tap beer all night long. And then, you know, the special, the special of every night was the kamikazes. One dollar kamikazes. So this man, he made $5,000 at the door. Right. He paid the band peanuts. I mean, you guys, you know, you weren't commanding big money at the time. And then the kamikazes, they used to carry those things out by trays, you know. So so here you have a group of uh, high schoolers and some older folks that had graduated and, you know, would come back. It wasn't just the kids. Right. Yeah. We had some uh, older yeah. people in there for a while. We had sure. some. Old, yeah. You know. Yeah. You're, I mean, your parents were sitting in the audience <laughs> with us. Come on. <laughs> Um, that went on for a couple of years. I mean, but it was, um, it really was more of the social scene, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, people, everybody came out that night. It was just a wonderful, you know, great music, good friends. It was like a house, giant house party, uh, when it was going yeah. on. Yes. Yeah, Scott, I, talk, I would be curious too, if you were, if you guys remember how you first, um, dialed it in, like somebody's like, wait, let, let's play there. How do- Playing at the speakeasy? Yeah, do you remember how? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I had asked Joe a couple times. And uh, I have a memory of the kitchen, Joe, of of the speakeasy. And I, I don't know if it was you that was there with me, but it was my initial talk with your father to, to ask for employment. <laughs> and... Uh, I think I said something like, you know, um, can we play here, this, that, and the other thing, and and you know, you know, something like uh, two hundred bucks. And he said, uh, "How old are you guys?" And <laughs> yeah, were you with me? I don't think I was there for your. Uh, I, I'm sure I negotiated with my dad for a while to get that thing going. <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's a bar, and you're, you're letting kids in. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, now he knew us, right? He knew us as, you know, a, a good group of football playing kids that watched out for each other, right? I had the bedroom, the famous bedroom, right, where we would have parties on a regular basis. So he, he saw us, he knew us, um, he trusted us. He did. I think it was, you know, probably your meeting with him where, where it was a business deal at that point, right? He, he needed help. You guys yeah. needed an avenue and, uh, it, you know, played out well for both. Yeah, yeah, I did. But we had gone out and, and hit some other places too, Todd and I. Todd and I had, um, there, there were some other places out there and, and that we played. Um, so yeah, look, just looking for more gigs. And, and that, was, that was all pre From Good Homes. I mean, that was, right? I mean, you, you were old Crow oh, yeah. band at the time. Yeah, there, yeah, that was well before From Good Homes. Well, yeah, there was college after that. And there was one, one summer that, that you traveled with me, that you, you hitchhiked back from San Francisco to Naperville. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Got in the red van and, and headed back to, to Jersey. 
we were in Chicago. We had just moved to Chicago. That's right. And, uh, and uh, you met us there and headed on back. And that was the last time, I think, that maybe one more summer, I think, that Brady played there in Sparta. Yeah. Before everybody was completely in school and doing their thing. And then they got together. Brady and Todd got together through college, going back and forth to Columbia and, and uh, Chicago. Uh, but uh, it wasn't until after college that everybody got together in New York. One thing I was, I've been trying to kind of get an idea of how, of like a description is um, like the culture back then, kind of like eighties, it was like late seventies to eighties. What was happening, particularly in North Jersey, New York city, that would, that would kind of inspire the, you know, Todd's songwriting and the, and what would become from good homes music. So I guess kind of when you guys were like finishing up high school, getting out of there, how would you describe the cultural scene, particularly in that, region yeah you know i think i think it was the times were changing you know we um you know as we were leaving high school right there was that whole there, there was a lot of music i mean not a, you know mtv was starting so the, that whole video generation and um, music became more than just sound um there was the you know anti-disco but lots of new dance music right um, and that, that was a lot of what I was doing in, in the early 80s in San Francisco is, you know, in the nightclubs where I was working with Bill Graham at Wolfgang's, you know, we had dance dance every Saturday night and it was a DJ and, you know, we'd have 800 young people in there, uh, all dressed nice, all dancing together. Um, yeah. But there was, there was so much music. You know, everything, you know, from Rod Stewart and, um, you know, of course, you know, the Grateful Dead that most of us grew up with. And, right. you know, a lot of 60s uh, Renaissance or the classic music was was really staying with us. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a, it seemed like times were changing, you know, a lot at that time, as, as I guess it always does. I mean, you look at the evolution. Um, now you go back and you look at some of the photos and you had the big hair, you know, girls, girls wore big hair. I mean, now, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I look yeah. at some of that and it's crazy. Um, I had big hair after high school, right? As soon as we finished football, <laughs> I was able to grow my hair down past my shoulders. And then of course I had to cut that a couple of years later cause I had to go to work. People didn't like long hair. <laughs> so now, now we were talking earlier, you know, with the coronavirus lockdown, Doing my own. It's looking looking pretty good. Little gray. No, oh, you're looking great, man. I'm never going back. That barber <laughs> out of business. Done. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, any other thoughts here? I mean, I appreciate that, Joe. I, I mean, I, that's kind of how I remember that time frame because certainly MTV was pushing, was changing things. It's crazy to think like technology you know we didn't have cell phones right so it was a very different time and a lot of people when i talk about that time frame in jersey in particular was cover bands you know so think about how from good homes kind of had to push through what a lot of people didn't want to be hearing you know they're fighting original you know bringing original music to a crowd that wants cover music was a tough one right there was there was a lot of good music so i mean even you know even today you know we fast forward to todd's band you know, Railroad Earth, you know, he, mm -hmm. he inserts covers. You know why? People like old, good, classic music, you know? I mean, not to say 
anything you know different i mean todd's music you know and his writing skills i mean he's a he's a poet first and he turns it into music but you know i mean i'm always harassing todd to play a song and they're always at the very cutting edge of where he wants to be but one of these days he's pulling something out because i annoyed the life out of him (laughs) it's all good so joe you left you headed west did you ever were you, uh, you asked me last time we spoke when From Good Homes formed. Yeah. Did you ever see him back then, like in the 90s? Were you able to see him ever? Or? Yes. I was thinking, um, I don't have my wife help me through the timeline, but um, I think the first time I saw them was at uh, Rich Watney's 30th right. birthday party. That's right. Out in, in Utah. Uh, in Utah. Was it Utah, right? Yeah, I yeah. was. I was wondering if it was Idaho or Utah. It's, it was Idaho, I think. We flew into. We flew into Utah. We flew into Salt Lake, and everybody drove out there. Yeah, so yeah. that was my first opportunity to see, you know, from Good Homes. And then I, I tracked them for a long time. I've got a handful of T-shirts in my closet. They don't. They don't fit me. <laughs> but I got a handful of T-shirts, so I, I did track them. I got a handful of the CDs over the years. Then I would travel back. You know, my parents, of course, were still in Sparta, so. I would travel back, you know, at least twice a year to see family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I most often spent that whole trip with friends and, um, you know, of course, saw the band whenever I could there. But but for much of that long stretch of From Good Homes, I was a remote uh, listener. But you've seen now Railroad Earth and have you tracked like, what Brady's been doing? And Fitz yeah, is doing? yeah, sure. You know, Brady, you know, awesome with the children's music. Uh, my kids were a little too old, I think, when he started really, you know, being recognized. So we didn't, you know, we didn't, you know, dance to Brady's music much. But Railroad Earth, of course, you know, we actually in January, we had the opportunity to go up to Tahoe. Um, and we went with Todd, you know, I had my family and my wife and we hung out before the show. You know, he sat out on the front of the stage and we were on the rail and uh, he stood, sat on the stage and talked to me for about 10 minutes before the show just a real treat and then afterwards we saw him as well he came out into the casino and hung out with us and you know we had a really good chance to catch up i mean you know he's he's kind of a star so it's hard to approach him at some of these shows i mean he he can't really go into the crowd now in tahoe it's a you know 600 person venue so it was very mellow he you know walked around the casino and signed autographs for people but it was it was really a nice treat and so we've traded messages you know, I reminded him of some of the times we had as kids, you know, out of high school. You know, he traveled to California a couple times to visit me. And uh, mm-hmm. we went and saw um, Elton John at the Cow Palace and stood front row. And and that was just such a treat, right? Now that would have been like 85, 86. And then he stayed with Diane and I for about, you know, three or four days. And uh, we always joke about my wife making um, her famous spaghetti ragu. You know, it's funny how you you remember some of that stuff. And, you know, when I see Todd and talk to him, I always try to reminisce. And as we would, you know, all of us, you get together, you know, those rare times now. And we spend most of our time talking about those older days, you know. But yeah, great, great band. I mean, you know, got to got to really give them credit. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually starting this film over the last year, I, I certainly listened to Railroad Earth. But as I started this, I really started diving in. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you know, that's just phenomenal what, what yeah. he's done with yeah. both bands. Yeah. And an evolution band, you know, they've changed because of the band members' situations. And I think these latest additions, you know, bringing a keyboardist in as they have, you know, really adds a new dimension 
I think they really got it dialed in right now. And I know, I mean, Todd, Todd told me when we were, when we saw him in Tahoe this January that he thought that the band right now was really at a great level. They had just finished up the Fillmore's in San Francisco. It was the very beginning of this winter tour that's now, of course, been canceled. But he, he was, said he was feeling really good about the music. I thought it was pretty amazing when Andy passed, the way that the, for the first year they used uh, kind of local musicians regionally as they toured around often one or two to kind of fill Andy's shoes. Yeah, I think I think that was more of an interview thing, right? They, they, you know, you, it's hard to pick somebody if you don't actually stand on the stage and do it together. So, um, yeah, it's, they've done well. And then Brady, you know, I mean, a couple Grammy nominations. I see him very active on social media. I mean, he he's done so well. And to, to see, I mean, he's he is the happiest when he is performing. Now, I think he's, a generally very happy guy, you know, he's always been very positive, but when you see him standing up there performing, he is loving life and he loves to give those kids what he's doing. I mean, it's just wonderful to see it. Yeah. Well, any other, I mean, Joe, I was going to talk to Scott a little bit about the way early days before we wrap up any, uh, any kind of final thoughts. I mean, maybe we can loop back around to this crazy time we're in certainly a turn in history. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, you know, the, the, from good homes, the, the boys in the band, Scott, you know, you guys left a great impression on so many of us. Um, you know, we were music lovers back then. You guys really added an element to all of our lives. And uh, you know, I thank you for that. Thank you, Joe. Be good. I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys go. And uh, I look forward to seeing the results of your work here, Vic. Right on. All right, man. Cool. Thanks, Joe, man. Great seeing you. Good to see you, buddy. Take care, guys. Take care. So, Scotty, I was going to start. I was wondering back um, when you think about playing at the Speakeasy, do you remember set lists or what, what was what was on the, what were you guys playing back then? At the Speakeasy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were set lists. Brady was doing, he's been doing set lists since, you know, day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Set lists and, and uh, fake monitors to hold the words up there and, and, uh, <laughs> Because we throw new ones in there all the time. and uh, You guys, yeah. at that time, when we were kind of finishing up high school, you were like a working band, and you really created the culture for us. You know, like that was a, it was a big deal for all the kind of uh, people, music fans. You guys were laying it down and giving us something to really uh, kind of celebrate. Um, so I'm thinking about the origins of that, and I, you know, I, I was around for, for the early days, but just talk a little bit about maybe how your family, certainly Connie, and how, when you were way young, did you guys start playing music before you came to Sparta? Or when did you start playing music? Sure. We started playing um, in Naperville, Illinois, where we lived just before we came to, um, to Sparta. It was, you know, we were playing in the band in fourth and I think third and fourth grade. Brady was playing the tuba. It was bigger than him. And, and I played the cornet. I think we were there. We were only there for a school year and then we were in Sparta. So we went right into school there. And, and started playing there. And that's where I met Todd. He sat right next to me. And, <laughs> and what, do you remember coming to Sparta? Was it like, oh, cool, this is going to be, a, this is going to be great. Or like, ah, I'm kind of Miss Naperville. Or what was it like? At, yeah, and how old were you? Oh, well, we had moved quite a bit. And we had, we had moved, moved from Ohio, where we were born, to Nebraska when we were in second and first grade. Then went from Omaha, Nebraska to Chicago, and then Chicago to New Jersey, 
Ridgewood, actually, and then to Sparta. Do you remember like first impressions of Sparta? Oh my God, yeah. The first impression, well, coming from Ridgewood was very, very different from, you know, Omaha was, it was wide open. There was one tree that we all built a tree house in, but it was wide, it was wide open in 72 and it was, uh, it was something else. And, and Ohio was, was the same way, the farms, uh, uncle's farm that we'd hang out on. But going to Ridgewood, New Jersey was more metropolitan and, and a little scary, you know, young, being young. When we got to Sparta, we had this house that there were woods all over the place uh, up on Conestoga. And there were ponds and fishing ponds everywhere. So, so I was out the house every day fishing and just it was, it was like heaven for me. Small town, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, as those small town, it, it was tough to get to know people because it was very kind of closed, you know, in the way those small bedroom communities are in the in Northeast and some of them. And, uh, but it, it all started to, to fall into place and, and it was like heaven. I know you mentioned when we were talking to Joe about sports, I remember the rhymers showing up, man, you guys kind of were like long, a little longer hair than most, most people at the time I thought, but very good athletes. I remember like, Oh yeah. The, so that had to help kind of land in a, in a small little town. Yeah, and uh, we did. We we participated in sports all all through in in Omaha and Ohio and, and Naperville and uh, and uh, Ridgewood. So we we didn't miss a season anywhere we were. So mom and dad kept us very active with all that. It was fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask you to tell the story of meeting Todd. But before that, speaking of sports, I don't know if you remember this. You used to drive us to the football games when you had to be a senior and me and Brady were juniors, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you were a little scary at that time. <laughs> and I remember when we would come on the fork, there's the fork to West Shore Trail and Alpine. You didn't yeah. feel obligated to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that scared the hell out yeah, of me. But that was bad. I don't know if you remember. We stopped before a game and you bought some hand pads. Uh-huh. Do you remember this? The sports store? I don't know if this if I'm recalling this correctly. You bought these pads and you were psyched. We were on our way to this game and you hit the windshield. Do you remember that? Uh, I think I do. Yeah. I don't want to, but I, uh, yes, I do. Uh, yeah. And the windshield broke. But, you yeah. know, that all translated to some <laughs> phenomenal per- performances on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get things started there. Yeah. You became a much gentler man through the years. Well, thank God. I mean, I wouldn't be around had I not. <laughs> What changed? What happened? Was it a know. series of things? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So I got to hear because the fans of From Good Homes and fans of Todd will love, you know, when you met Todd, what was the beginning of the well, transition from the horns to the to the rock and roll? Well, it was a dance. I mean, I met Todd in, in elementary school playing trumpet and the two of us played and we played right next to one another. So, uh, and then junior high, we, we ended up at our first dance. You know, and I think it was Blue Emerald that was playing. You know, we were like, what the heck, you know? I mean, damn, these guys are good. And, you know, it was literally like, you know, the next day we're still talking about it. It's like, that was awesome, man. And, and we're back and forth going, what the hell was that all about? And, and Todd's like, you can't play Kiss on the goddamn trumpet, Scott. We got to get a band together. <laughs> oh yeah so uh that's what we did so we got a band together 
And do you remember, I know we talked before and you and you and Todd started writing songs together and, um, that's pretty amazing for young kids like that. Yeah. We, well, yeah, we, we all did, you know, and, uh, we just wanted to, yeah, we wanted to write songs. Brady and I and, and Todd, we'd have, we'd have sleepovers and we'd go down to the basement and write songs and, uh. You know, it was like young kids just with this insatiable appetite to, to play and to play music and to be together. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, there, there were some songs written when we were, were 14 and 13 and, you know, whatever, and uh, recorded. And uh, It's funny to think about, like, thinking about when I was describing the story of the hand pads and busting the windshield. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then on the gentler side, you're writing songs on the weekends. <laughs> I was just getting prepped for the game. <laughs> Did you guys, um, and I'm always intrigued as a kind of a hack musician, love to, you know, I got one song that I wrote in my life, but I just, I admire so much the, you know, people that can out of nothing put together a song. Do you, and I'm intrigued by that, like as teens, you know, early teens, how you do it. Did you got, would you sit down with pen and paper or guitars or what? Well, I think it just, Todd would come in and he'd actually have like some lines and do some stuff. I'm like, what is he doing, you know? And he'd just start going with stuff. And basically what they do now, it all starts from like a little kernel, a little idea. And from that then comes that song on the wind and it it flies in and hits somebody's shoulder and they go home and they write some lyrics for it, you know, or they all write lyrics for it, you know? That's what was happening when we were kids. When we were kids, it was just the love of playing kind of goes like this and then oh we can try this and we can do this and and then it was everybody working together like you know i hear this with the drums i hear that you know you know this that so everybody worked really well in it and um and so a song would pop out of it it was just a natural thing you know and that's pretty amazing because i've played in bands through the years and um just and it's always often covers that's what we're doing and then you fiddle around with playing songs but to have that patience with each other and that However, whatever brought you guys together and the ability to, to it's, it's got vulnerability with each other to say, hey, we're going to create well, together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what, it, that's what it was. Knowing, one, that, you know, man, we didn't, we, we couldn't sound like the Rolling Stones, but, but you know what, we, we could damn well play the hell out of that song, you know, and because it, it was coming from somewhere. And that's what was happening, you know. You know, when we would start working together, we all kind of knew where everybody was at, you know, at an early age, you know, like understanding where somebody's going to go on their instrument, you know, is, is a pretty cool thing. When those moments happen, it's like taking flight, you know, you all have a connection that's moving in the same direction and it's just thrilling, you know, and that, that, that's what all the sleepovers and the hanging out and rehearsing and it's fun. A lot of fun. (laughs) So now you personally, you, kind of channeled that creativity to acting. That was your, do you recall when you said, all right, guys, I'm, I'm done playing. Was that just graduating high school or what? Yeah, I didn't really, it wasn't graduating high school. I went back and played a summer when we had moved, folks had moved to, to Chicago. So I went back with Brady and and we played that summer. And then in the end of the summer, some things happened and I said, I'm, I'm going to go back to Chicago. Just wasn't making enough money to stick around. So so I went back to Chicago, make some money, go back to school. And uh, it just kind of after that, I, I don't know, I just lost the, the drive for it, I guess. You know, I just never really played. I tried in college to play. I played with these guys in North Carolina in college that uh, just one, one rehearsal. It was nothing like 
Old Crow, and, and I, I just didn't want to be up there playing with them. And I, and I was like, well, I kept my bass and my, my amp down there, and I'd play it. And, but uh, it was kind of over for me, I guess. And I'd always been fascinated with acting. So I, I ended up uh, getting into it in college, and, and I found a, an amazing teacher who uh, brought it out of me and uh, gave me a lot of great tools and, and uh, gave me a way, a way towards success that, uh, that, I, that I achieved and achieved what I needed to and, and was very, very happy in, in what I did with it, yeah. So were you doing that acting down in North Carolina, or was that up yes, in New York? Yes, at East Carolina University in North Carolina. And uh, uh, that was Don Bean, who was my teacher there. Then graduated from East Carolina and went on to New York. And worked in New York with Circle Repertory Company, and was part of their lab. And uh, I did a ton of plays with them, all developmental plays, which was, it was great because we had this little 80-seat house, and we'd put on a play every week from August through the first part of June. Full production in this small black box of 80 seats. It was amazing. I mean, you could always stay involved and working there. It wasn't, I mean, we didn't make any money at it. It was all developmental. It was all to take the play to the next level, hopefully get it to the main stage, which was, which was an off-Broadway stage and then to Broadway. And a few, few plays came out of there and went to Broadway. One was Burn This that started right there and went right to Broadway. So it was, uh, it was an amazing time to, to be there when I was there at the time, and just a, a, a great place to be. And, uh, and when was that? What year are we talking? That was uh, 87 when I got in the last part of 87, and I, and I was there through 95. I just loved it there, I loved the people there, and uh, I pretty much stayed right there. It was like a home, you know. We lost our grant in 95, and, uh, and some splinters had, you know, splinter uh, groups off of, off of Circle had started up, but uh, it just wasn't the same. The Circle Repertory Company started in, early 60s, and it had been around for forever, you know, so um, it, it, it was a pretty special place. How would you describe pulling off a play with a group of people compared to your experience making music with a group of people? Boy, I don't know. Um, you know, I only know it as a kid, you know, when I was a kid playing music. I guess it, it wouldn't be so much now, um, but thinking back on it as a kid, it was just, you know, getting up and performing. It was just all balls to the walls, you know? It was just, you know, go crazy, you know, and, and have, have a great time. And, uh, and acting's very different than that. Acting's just letting it, letting it come through you. And, uh, and that's the part of the writing or what we had in our rehearsals, I think, that as young kids kind of works with the acting, you know, what, what I really found in, at East Carolina about about it was that, that there was that taking flight kind of feeling when you really were vulnerable enough to allow yourself to go to places and and get get uh, <laughs> yeah. There was quite a crew of folks down there at ECU at the time, wasn't there? Some Sparta. There was a little bit of a gang of Sparta folks, yeah. 
Yeah, we had, yeah, that's, that's how I ended up down there. I followed Trish Devaney down there, my girlfriend, my, my high school sweetheart. And um, Scott McCarroll, who I just spoke to the other night, he's well, he's doing good. Nice. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy Quinn, Tom Kent, Tom Kent was down there. Yeah, we had, we had a good group. And Brady was there for a semester too. That semester I spent most of the time with a busted up toe, uh, so I didn't get to party with my brother down there too much, but he was there for the first semester. That was cool, that, that was, you know, it's always scary, you know, when you're a young kid going to college, you know, and you're going away from home, that kind of thing. It was good to have your buddies there. It was a good support system. They kept you out of trouble a little bit. <laughs> Keep the trouble confined yeah. to one or two areas. So when you were up in the New York City area, late 80s, 90s, it must have been a fun time because you were doing your acting and, and From Good Homes were now coming together. Yeah, it was uh, pretty cool. You know, those guys were playing down on Bleecker Street and I was working right around the corner on down on Spring Street, and, you know, as an actor and a lot of energy. You know, you're in your 20s, 25, 20, 26. You know, you're busting it out, man. I mean, you're just doing what you can do. And uh, we were all doing that, yeah. I guess I moved out to Colorado in the early 90s. So I missed yeah. much of the 90s, like really when they were kind of doing their, you know, getting signed and doing the run up. And you went, you, did you, you started working with them, yeah? Yeah. Mid to late 90s? Yeah. I had left New York and went out to California and ended up getting a job in Minnesota and was there for a little while and then decided I wanted to go back to New York. So I went back to New York and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what? Doing back in New York. <laughs> and uh, I get a phone call and the guys were on the road. And Monk, Rob, he had uh, Dave Matthews picked him up. And I got a call from Brady. And Brady said, you want to come out on the road with us? You want to do Monk's job? So I don't know what the hell I'm doing with that. So just come on out. We'll put you on merch for a little while. And that was the best phone call I ever got. Yeah, so I hit the road with those guys. Sublet my apartment out and that was it. I was on the road with them for six years then. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, see the country. So were you up all the way through them getting signed and then through them splitting up or? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was, well, I was with them with the, from, yes, from the time that, that, uh, well, I was with them the whole time. I mean, I was with, even when I was first acting in New York, I'd go out with them and do lights or something like that. But, uh, but I wasn't on, you know, I wasn't on in the van touring with them every day, you know, but I was always around, you know. I was not with them when they got signed. I was in California, but I was with them shortly after that. And, uh, and then I was with them when, when they decided as a group that, that they were going to uh, split up. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's six years is a lot of, lot of stories and a lot of information, but if you, if you think back about that, like you described that joy of making music with your friends in the basement all the way through there now, if you think about that time frame, how, how do you feel like what, what was going on and what, what went on? What was the, what happened? <laughs> what happened in, in yeah, the leaving? Yeah. 
I guess like if you think about from good homes now, there's, it's always that like, what, you know, what happened? And I guess that's the question of the commercial success. You know, I think everybody had, had a reason that was very important for them. And I think the hardest thing was that everybody knew that. And it was a tough, uh, a tough moment. I I felt like everybody felt pretty much the same weight and, uh, but it was time, you know, it was time. And yeah, it's got a pretty good happy ending. <laughs> really does. And actually, it's got a great happy ending. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that. And it was actually coming out of, out of Rich's party that Joe was talking about as we were on our way back to the airport. The kind of that time, that time in the 90s, there was so much of a story to tell. And so I set off on this, trying to maybe talk to some of the other musicians around there. And, but I'm just trying to understand what it was like to be on the road with a band that's signed, right? They're, got it, they're now signed. They've achieved that goal. And now, now you're out and, you're, and it's, what, what was that like traveling around? The good and the bad, I guess. The, the, the good was just, you know, just being there, you know, it was, that was the good. And, uh. And I think the, the bad was, you know, it's what you have to tolerate, you know, is when you get to, why, why are we playing this? Why are we playing here? There's nobody here, you know, this or that. And, and there wasn't an awful lot of that, but that goes with the territory and you just have to tolerate that and, and move on. So, but after a while, you know, you, it gets a bit confusing, I think, in, in, in what you can be doing for yourself as a band to, to get yourself further down the road, you know. You, once you get involved, I'm probably speaking out of out of turn here, but you know, once you're in in working with an organization, it, it's I think it's it's really hard to to understand where everything falls in terms of the the plan, and you might hear one thing or this or that, and then everybody wants something different from you, and so that you know all that stuff is pretty pretty much I guess the bad of it. But uh, so two two other things I want to because I know you were there. Could you tell me a little bit about your experience when the in recording down in New Orleans? Did, did you drop in there? I did. Yeah. 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 It was cool. What do you recall about that? That was awesome. Yeah, I was there a couple of days, and and um, it was a great house and haunted house, and you know had all the stories, and uh, and the guys, you know, it was just. It was first recording, you know, and uh, yeah, it's cool setting, cool people and, you know, hanging out. And, and the other thing, because I did get to go down there and take some photos. That was a total treat for me to come down, yeah. and pretend I'm a rock and roll photographer yeah. and to mixed results. You know, I got a few good shots, <laughs> but I missed completely the barn, the, the second red barn on the right. And I know you were around for that experience. Oh, the barn? Yeah. Yeah. What went on up at the barn? What was the barn all about? Uh, well, it was a, it was a step up from the doghouse. And uh, <laughs> the barn was really cool. A place where we could go and, and set up and play and work out new songs and actually record it up there and, and uh, recorded the record up, uh, recorded one of the records up there and and it was, you know, it was a really cool vibe that was going on up there and just a great place to hang out. You know, lots of property right off the Appalachian Trail and, and you could just chill out. And did you guys 
open that up and have parties up there too or performances? Yeah, we, we had, uh, yeah, a couple shows up there, you know, a few shows. So I just, I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, about your relationship with Brady and how that's evolved over the years, you know, like clearly you guys coming together, the whole gang of you and writing songs together, but having you two, two brothers there must've, must've helped because you guys had to kind of bring it together first and show, yeah, this can work maybe. So just talk about your relationship with Brady and how that's evolved over the years. Well, I mean, like I said, you know, the, the phone call I got when I was sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn to come out on the road was heaven sent. And, uh, it was, uh, Amazing to see the countryside with my brother and to have all that time with with him on the road together and uh, and to hear the music and to be a part of that, you know, to be a supporter and, uh, and to be a brother. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. Joe mentioned about Brady having always having a good time and being in I what I noticed yeah. on one of these um Facebook Live things he's been doing. Yeah. I, I notice when Brady plays, I, I feel like he's imagining his people with him all the time. <laughs> you know? I, he doesn't play solo. He's always like you could hear him you could it seems like he's hearing all that with him. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, we've been watching him on Instagram for the Saturdays and the lullabies, too, on Wednesday night. And, you know, you always hear him say, you know, come on, Larry, I hear that, you know, or come on, Seth. And, uh, yeah, he's got them in, in his head. He's, he's rolling with them, you know. It's a, it's a very special spot for him, you know. Uh, the music that he, he creates these days is... Uh, is truly beautiful and uh, doing some real good cool man yeah. well thank you so much is there any uh, anything we, we want to talk about before oh, we wrap nah. up <laughs> yeah I've been looping it back around to this wretched pandemic, but I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't, it's crazy. You know, it's like you, you're kind of forced into staying in the moment because you can't, you can't know what's coming next. Yeah, you don't know. Our state's open, you know. And, uh, yeah, I went out there to pick up the, the groceries today and, and the kid's coming up with the groceries and I'm like backing off and it's just... It's just crazy. It's just crazy behavior. It's, I've had it, you know, <laughs> fucking had it. I know I got, I got this idea. I, I originally thought, okay, I'll use this time where people are home to do some more interviews. Right. And, but it relies on folks setting up their camera and some can, some can't. And I'm like, I don't want to waste people's time. So, oh, maybe, maybe it'll be a nice, we'll do this podcast because we're all in this such a weird thing you know we have this common thread of the music and um we're also going through such a wild experience and i was like well i better get to it because it might end and now i mean like dreadfully thinking 
I, this could be going on for a while. Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know. Yeah, that's kind of why I didn't want to loop back to it because it's certainly not a pleasant conversation. <laughs> yeah. No. But, you know, there there are some great things that are coming out of it, you know, with all the music that's going out there across the airwaves, you know, finding a way to connect, you know. And that's really like, you know, what you were saying before, you know, I can hear a band in his head. That's, he, he's connecting. It's, he's right through that. And uh, that's what's keeping him going, you know. Um, all of us going, finding a way to connect. And our priorities are shifting too. It's like you're with the people in your house, you know, you, you, yeah, yeah. you gotta, it's, you gotta start real simple. You gotta simplify, uh-huh. figure out the real simple things first and prioritize them, shift your priorities. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, cool, man. It's always nice seeing you. It's great to see you. It's fun seeing Joe there for a while too, huh? Yeah, it was. It was great to see Joe. Yeah, it's been too long. Yeah, this has been a treat for me because I talked to Rich Watney the other day. Yeah. Talked to Andy Strauss. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Give me something to do. That's great. Yeah. Well, Vic, I hope everything works out well with this. I hope hope uh, everything comes together with this here. Yeah, man. Say hey to Dick. I will. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah. Thank you, Vic. Catch you soon. Be well. Drove it to the